Um, don't mind my typing, because I'm also working while we're doing this. Multitasking. But this is our Halloween episode this Hooray. year. We've only had one other one, haven't we? Because for some reason... I feel I, like we didn't do one that I felt, first. For some reason, I felt like we had done two, but I don't think we had. I don't know. Also, ignore how uh, stuffed up I am. I'm trying to find... What did you do for that Halloween episode? The last one. The one that I do remember happening was Witches of Illinois. So 2021, we did the Exorcist house. <gasps> That's and, it. And the witches. What did we do last year then? Wait. Oh, Spooky Hollow. And the Snelson Brinker Cabin. Oh, that makes sense. So then what did we do last year? That would have been last year's. No, it's 2023. Yeah, we're recording 2023's October episode. We just... 2020... The 2021 was our first Halloween episode. Yeah. Oh, last year's was... Oh, yeah. I remember now. Yours was The Witches, and mine was La Voice... La Voice or whatever. That really famous well, wait, witch what was in the France. First? Yes, it was all so witches. So it was The Exorcist, and then My Witch Story from France. And that was last year's, and the year before was Exorcist House yeah. and Snelson Brinken. Snelson? Snelson Brinker. Snelson Brinker Cabin. Snelson. I don't have a clue anymore. I combined them. <laughs> it feels like, to me, somehow, the Exorcist episode still seems so close. It seems like, yeah, it was... Which I don't understand. But anyway, so this is our third... I will cut out the majority of that. But this is our third Halloween episode that we've ever done. Which is exciting. Right. Good for us. Um, do you want to go first? Um, Yeah. Or should I go first? Is yours upsetting? No. Okay. <laughs> you should go second. Okay. I like to wrap up happy. Yeah. Well, it's <laughs> or not less like, upsetting. My yeah, it's not. I mean, well, you just see. I don't. I'm not gonna give it away. I haven't told her at all what I'm doing. And you might have told me what you're doing, but I don't remember. I, I did technically text it to you, but not specifically. <laughs> Last yeah, night. I don't remember. Um. So I'm gonna go over. Oh, do we have Methods any? of execution. <laughs> Happy Halloween. <laughs> do we have any, um, I don't have any banter, do you? Um, no, because we just recorded. Well, do you have anything Halloween related? Halloween related banter? I'm going to carve two pumpkins this year. Oh, that's exciting. I they're, could hardly carve they're, one. They're those, um, you know, the dad, like, sometimes he thinks about the time he was in Germany with me, and he's like, ah, oh. he thinks about those, like, statues that were on that bridge that we went by. He loves bringing up uh-huh. those statues. Uh, I'm going to carve those statues' faces. They're like Vikings. What was I going to say? We went to the pumpkin patch. Yeah, we went to the pumpkin patch right after our childhood cat died. Well, she got put down, but same thing she was real old she was old and had internal issues that we just found out about on saturday yeah um and then we went and got pumpkins and then honestly it was um, a very nice day other than that oh it was a perfect day outside (laughs) 
I mean, it was nice that we could all go get out of the house right after it. Like, oh, we yeah, had the day planned. We, we had the day planned. We didn't go decide to pick pumpkins after she died. <laughs> we went there to pick pumpkins, and then our parents took her to the vet because she like was as we were arriving weird. at their yeah. house, they were like, "We gotta go," <laughs> and we're like, "Okay." So then, what was I gonna say? I was gonna say something about Halloween. I can post our Halloween pictures with all of the animals on our Instagram. Yeah, you should. I'll do that. And then, so this episode will be coming out on Monday still, which is perfect because it's the day before Halloween. So you have time to listen if you want to listen. And then, I was going to say something because there's, oh, we're making a haunted house bunt cake for Halloween. Oh, cute. And we're going to practice it, I think, tonight. I don't know what I'm bringing. That's not the only thing we're bringing. about that yet. But we bought a bunt cake pan that's a haunted house. Oh, that's so we're going to make that. And we're going to, I think, attempt it today Lots to see if it actually works. Because he has a but lot of I opinions on fun food. we'll do some kind of charcuterie <laughs> board or something. I don't know. Anyway. let's. We can tell our story. Happy Halloween. Moving on to Sadie's story. Okay, yeah. Methods of execution. Um, so my sources <laughs> are <laughs> Wikipedia, thecollector.com, medievallifeandtimes.info, and history.co.uk. Um, so just like a little like forward like disclaimer um these are methods that were used for like legal executions not just ways people have killed Killed others other. like 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 some government entity whether it be like the king of the kingdom or like it was their form of execution the at the time. Government. well method of execution, of execution you don't think of murder you think um, of you no i know but it's like executed. people will be like oh but what about this and i was like well some of those one were never used for as legal means of execution or um are just mythologies i'm not covering the mythologies i'm not covering yeah. other like i'm not covering other organizations like terrorist organizations um rebellion organizations anything like that like revolutionaries that didn't succeed and weren't then in control and then using it as an official means it needs to be like in a law book yeah <laughs> To make this list because it was too much otherwise there's too many ways to kill people um and then almost every time i mention a place where it was used it's in the past unless i specifically say they're currently using it so yeah that's that's sort of my my disclaimer to this list okay um so after that there's sort of an alphabetical order of like big kind of death and then like little forms at in within that kind of death <laughs> so the first one is animals oh, no. and the many ways you can use them to kill humans oh okay good i thought we we're talking about killing animals well sometimes the animals die but that's not most of the well, time back then they died a lot of times in a lot um, of ways hmm? i said back then they died in a lot of times in a lot of ways yeah people uh still aren't very nice to animals they no, definitely weren't not. nice to them back then so the first one is rat torture <laughs> oh by the way if anybody likes um execution or torture methods Go to the Soul Asylum in Alton because he, what's his name, David or Dave? I haven't been. He, um. That's like his, like, hobby He has, interest. like, an oddities museum. So he has stuff from, that he's bought from different serial killers and a bunch of different torture devices and, like, um, you know, little articles on, or little blurbs about different you know, torture mm-hmm. methods yeah. that were used and stuff like that. So if anybody's ever in Alton, Illinois, go to the Soul Asylum. That's a worthwhile little because stop. Because that's one of the things that they talk Rat about. Rat tortures. 
Yeah. So rat torture is when rats are placed in a small cage, and the opening of the cage is then placed over the victim's abdomen. <laughs> and then the rats are going to escape because they have a very high survival instinct, and they're going to go through the easiest thing to bite through. And it's not going to be the metal cage. It is going to be the person's stomach. Um, so then they eat through the human to leave. Um, I want to know how long that would take. I have no idea. I didn't go into that much detail for each of these because that was going to be overwhelming, honestly. <laughs> Um, so this was used in the 1600s during the Dutch Revolt. Um, Diedrich so- Sone uh, used this method on his prisoners. And then this method has also been used recently in as recently as 1990 in some South American countries. 1990? Yes, by, uh, by military dictatorships in some South American countries Whoa. for, like, true torture yeah. deaths, not, like, as in normal everyday execution method. Yeah. Um, but this is one of, like, the only ones that doesn't have, like, an insanely old background to it that I'll cover. They're Most just of like, them hey, guess what? So we have a old. lot of rats. Let's use them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what so can we do with that? animal eth- execution method is, um, Donadio ad bestias. I don't speak Latin. Um, so this is being killed by lions, crocodiles, sharks, rhinos, hippos. Um, aurochs, tigers, <laughs> leopards, hyenas, wolves, wild boars, buffalo, bears, elephants, basically anything big that can kill you. Um, How are they capturing these animals? I, you know, it's a great question, but they are <laughs> capturing these animals because you're not, like, you're not throwing them into, like, the safari. Yeah, you're not just leaving you're, them with the throwing them into, like, a pit or a cage or a That's fenced-in what, area. I'm just thinking of, like, people are just looking down in a circular and there's a dungeon area. Mm-hmm. And there's well, yeah. an, that's like why one I'm of the saying, classic, how did they get One these of the animals? classics methods is um, like gladiator fights. Yeah. Um, where the victim technically has the ability to survive if they kill the animal. Um, With gladiator fights, was it always a uh, like prisoners that they made um, do it? Or so did it was people like slaves, up? prisoners, and then people who needed to make money somehow? This was a method. Um, is who was gladiators. Most of the time it's slaves and prisoners. There are a few that like actually signed up for it. Um, Anyway, so yeah, sometimes it was gladiator fights. Other times the victim was incapacitated. Incapacitated. (laughs) Incapacitated and like thrown into like their den or whatever. Sometimes they're tied to poles and the animal was released Mm. into space. Sometimes they're thrown into pits. What if you befriended the animal? Um, Well, sometimes the animal's not hungry, but usually they starved them on purpose or like riled them up for like the animals that were not carnivores. You know, like you poke the rhino and then the rhino will charge for whatever reason. Um, I was going to say, with the rhino, that'd take a while. It would just have to decide to gore you, wouldn't it? Basically. Well, you use, like, bulls and stuff, too. Just anything that you can... Yeah, but cows are, like, known for trampling. I guess rhinos are known to be dangerous, too, but... Um, Anyway, this punishment was popular in the Roman Empire. Mainly because it could be a spectacle. Yeah. Um, Another method is trampling by horses, and this was used in the Middle East. Um... Here's another fun Latin word that I can't say. Poena cule. Uh, this is when you put a victim in a sack with smaller animals like dogs, snakes, monkeys, roosters, and then throw them into the body oh, into a body of water. I don't know why that's into the, the necessary part. I feel like you can just put them all in a bag together and suffer, but they got to go into why the water the too just in case. Drowned. Audrey didn't. People didn't care about dogs back then. Um, <laughs> this was also popular in ancient Rome, um, but was abolished. Around Man, Rome was just a terrible 892 place. when the Byzantine Empire was in control of that realm. Um, and then it, this method was also used during the Middle Ages in Europe and China. 
Uh, most of the time, the records are with snakes or roosters, it seems. The roosters? Yeah. Because they have those really nasty claws on them. They can mess you up. Okay. So you're getting tortured with, like, the claw things and then also drowning. drowning. Um, <laughs> next is ex- execution by elephant. Oh. Um, this is slightly different than, like, the previous elephant option. Because, like, that one is just, like, the elephant does whatever the elephant does. This one is um, a version used in South and Southeast Asia. It was a form of public execution. Mm. Um, the rider, there's a rider on the elephant, and then the rider made the elephant... Angry. Ang- no, mess with the Stampede. victim, right? No, like, pull them apart, smash them with their feet. Like, you, mm-hmm. know, like, you know, like how, you know, elephants can be trained to do things. They're being yeah. trained to kill people. Um so this like method that. was mainly used by rulers to demonstrate their power. It wasn't necessarily like a sentencing, sentencing thing. It was like, ooh, the ruler's feeling small because oh, this person made him feel small. Dead yeah. elephant. Um, the earliest records of this method occur sometime after 323 BC, um, and it was ordered by Perdiccas, who was the region of Macedonia. And it was used on 300 mutineers um, who were revolting after the death of Alexander the Great. His, What's uh, a mutineer? These are people who didn't agree that Perdiccas should take over after Alexander oh. the Great died. Okay. That's all it was. Um, it's last weird known, to think the name Alexander is that old. Right? The last known execution ordered using this method occurred in the early 1900s. Um, there is an account of an elephant execution recorded by Alexander Hamilton who was a sailor um, merchant and privateer not the founding father play writer um, <laughs> no not that one either. <laughs> not the one in the play Hamilton this is not the same one I haven't seen Hamilton um, anyway he was in um, what was then Siam what is now Thailand and this is the description for treason and murder the elephant is the executioner uh, the condemned person is made fast to a stake driven to the ground for the purpose, and the elephant is brought to view him, uh, and goes twice or thrice around him. When the elephant's keeper speaks to the monstrous executioner, um, he twines his trunk around the person and stake, pulls the stake from the ground with great violence, tosses the man and stake into the air, and it comes down, um, receives him on his teeth, and makes him off again, puts one of his forefeet on the carcass and squeezes it flat. So it sounds like he's the elephant picks oh, him it's up, like that throws him into the air, uh, lands on tusks sometimes. Either way, ends up on the ground and then eventually it's just that's a very talented elephant, I will say. That's why it's like they're trained to do this. It's not like you're wow. hoping they'll do it. It's which like is that sad for the elephant. Monk, they don't deserve that. that circus begrudgingly. No, that's what I thought of. And too. then he saw mm-hmm. that guy's or was a woman. Someone's head got that's, stomped and crushed mm-hmm. by an elephant, and then he was like, "I'm never going near an elephant again." Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "Fair enough." He but just the elephant been trained that. to smush uh, watermelons. Watermelons. Uh huh. Um, next one, like next big thing. So that was animals. This is um, asphyxiation. One version is suffocation. Suffocation in ash. Pompeii. <laughs> Yeah, but this is the victim is covered in ash, like in a pile of ash, and just left to die from asphyxiation. Um, this was used in ancient Persia and pre-contact Mexico. Um, burning a fire in a sealed room and then sealing somebody in that room with the burning fire and then they die from carbon monoxide, which is honestly not the worst option of most of the things on this list. No. 
um, being buried alive. Nothing. And then strangulation, often in the form of hanging. Um, but in some places used... Um, yeah, hanging is still used in some places, by the way, as I think it's for, like, the when top two execution methods. was the last hanging that done here, like, pretty recently, like, the 70s or something? Like yeah, that. but it's still actively used in a number of countries. It's, I'm like, looking. it's one of, like, the two most common methods. That and shooting are the two most yeah. common methods of execution today. Um, oh, 1996. In Delaware. Wow. That's shockingly recent. Um... Anyway, the other common method of strangulation is using um, a garrote, so like the a rope, a string, a chain, a it was a public piano execution. Wire. That's what hangings are in public executions. I thought you just did it in a room. Um, next is backbreaking. No, this thanks. is an old Mongolian form of execution, and it was utilized to avoid spilling blood on the ground. It seems like. Um, <laughs> I didn't want to clean up. No, in Mongolia, it was a thing oh, that they, oh. they, they had a number of methods of execution that were specifically designed to not spill blood. And I think it was like a religious or cultural thing. Beheading. Everybody, I'm sorry if everybody can hear my stomach <laughs> continuously growling throughout this episode. Beheading can be done with a sword, an axe, a guillotine, or any other heavy, sharp implement. Um, blades were not always sharp enough. Sometimes they had to chop multiple times to get the head off and actually the kill the person. Blades. Um, and didn't they used to like do a lot of executions in one day? Well, that sometimes? would be the problem. It's like the first few might yeah. have it cleanly cut off, and if you're like fourth or fifth or tenth in line, uh-huh. ooh, it's gonna be it's gonna suck. <laughs> That's why it's like um, oh. King Henry VIII when he executed Anne Boleyn specifically got like an expert executioner who had like a really good sharp sword, so it could be done in one fell swoop because he didn't want her to suffer. Which is oh, I thought he did. Didn't he want one of them to suffer really bad? He made him get, like, the dullest blade they could get? No. Oh. Using beheading is, throughout many societies, throughout history, it's pretty easy to do. Um, and it's still currently used in Saudi Arabia by sword. I don't know how often they use any of these. That's another thing. If it's currently used, it doesn't mean they're doing it every day. It means if they have an execution, it is an option, technically. Yeah. Um, next is blowing from a gun. This is not the same as getting shot. <laughs> what does that mean? This is a cannon is loaded uh, most often with either a blank cartridge or grape shot. Then the victim is tied to the mouth of the cannon and the weapon is fired. Um, does that make sense? No. So there's a cannon. Cannon's been loaded like it's going to fire, right? But not with a cannonball, with either grape shot, so it's like a shotgun uh-huh. shot, or with a blank cartridge, so it's just like a lot of fire that comes out and that's enough you can if you have a blank cartridge in a any gun and you okay. hold it too close to you can injure yourself so this is in a cannon and then you tie the human yeah, to the front of the mouth i read it myself so i get it now yeah <laughs> um so a description from george <coughs> carter stent about this method of execution the prisoner is generally tied to a gun with the upper part of the small of his back resting against the muzzle which is where all the vital organs yeah. are so that's no the small of his back no, it's down here. Never mind. That's that's like the soft Intestines. part of the backside. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the small of his back resting against the muzzle. The gun is fired. His head is seen to go straight up into the air, um, some forty or fifty feet. The arms fly off right and left, high up in the air, and fall at perhaps a hundred yards distance. 
Um, the legs drop to the ground beneath the muzzle huh? of the gun. Um, the body is, body is literally blown away altogether. Oof. Not a vestige being seen. So that's his description of using that method. Okay. Um, and that was a that was a lucky victim that he's describing because it did not always work well. Um, and sometimes there had to be like an executioner on standby with like a pistol to put someone out of their misery yeah. but didn't blow them up well enough. Because um, that some of these. I mean, are why'd they even put him out of their misery though? Blatantly, well, because were they, they were like, supposed well, to die. unless they weren't. Tra- I guess they weren't trying to torture them. With this. I was like, not all not all these execution methods are torture methods. But it's also like, then why not just shoot him in the head? Because that's <laughs> the old time. There's no theatrics really to that. like being creative with their with their execution methods. Remember, there's no other. There's very few forms of entertainment back no then. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, they show this kind of stuff in movies nowadays, so people mm-hmm. still people like still like it. to watch gore. I'm not one of them. I um, don't get it. So, blowing from a gun was used in South Asia and by the Portuguese Empire, and I don't huh. mean in Portugal. I mean in all the places that they were, um, like colonizing. So they were huh. using it specifically on native leaders who were leading rebellions against them. Interesting. Next is blood eagle. So it's an old Norse method. Oh, I know this one. <laughs> where a person's ribs are detached from their spine. Like you cut into their back and detach the ribs and from the spine. And wings. you like crack them open and then you pull their lungs out and make them look like wings. This method only appears in poetic sagas. So it's unsure if it actually ever occurred. I wouldn't doubt it. Um, and it could be that it happened once and then after that, like the, the stories made it a big thing. Because yeah. like, it's a crazy thing to have done to someone. Um, but I don't think if it did exist, it was common. <laughs> uh, next is boiling to death. Icky. It's exactly what it sounds like. Sometimes they used water. Other times they used oil, tar, or tallow. Um, it was used in parts of Europe and Asia. And some terrorist groups in Peru and Western Asia have recently used the method no. for, like, like torture reasons. Um, next is the breaking wheel. This is honestly my least favorite, and there's some disgusting things in here. <laughs> so this is a form of torture that's also a method of public execution. It was used in the Middle Ages um, and into the 1800s in Europe. It's, it's almost exclusively Europe. This is a European thing. Europeans are terrible um, people. The Europeans have some of the craziest. Breaking wheel is a form of... I already went... I don't remember that. So it's... Form torture, public execution method, used up in the Middle Ages to the 1800s in Europe. Um, Victims had their limbs woven into a large wheel. So, like, they would break the bones to stick them in between the spokes. So they're just, like, freakishly woven into these giant wheels. Uh And then um, sometimes they were strangled and decapitated if they didn't die from this. Um... Either way, they did kill them at the end. They didn't leave them like that to slowly die. Well, you think some of them would have died from the pain? Exactly. Some anyway. people would die from that, from the shock of it all. Um, but Isn't if it they weird that you can die from shock? They would strangle or... And not even just like pain shock, but Do you know, like, oh, being I had scared to, take, to death. Isn't that weird? I had to take like a really intense CPR <clears throat> class for my new job. And the amount of t- time we spent on shock was upsetting. I did not want to know. That. Like, it makes me feel like I'm just going to loosely die of shock now. Like, it freaked me out. <laughs> You're so dramatic. I'm a hypochondriac. I'm the person who thinks I would never die of shock. Um, anyway, oh, then they were killed. And after that, the body was left on display on the big wheel. As a warning to others. Yeah, this could be you. Look at this 
absurdly twisted body like disobey this will happen to you um i didn't say what each of these like not all crimes ended up in these punishments most of these were very specific things yeah like being a woman it was no it was more like (laughs) treason murder and then highway robbery were the most common things yeah why was that like the most horrific acts back then Oh, I want to know why highway robbery was specifically so bad. I think it had to do with, like... Inciting um, fear. No, like, racism things. Because oh. usually specific groups were doing it. And it was a way to target okay, them. Yeah. Because they were... Our, the, you're, you're not usually robbing people on the highway if you have genuine means of getting an income. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, I mean, back then, nobody really had great income. I would have been a robber. Yeah, but they weren't even allowed to have jobs that let them have a space to live for some people. Like, because yeah. it, was, it was more like everybody was sort of granted a place to live if they fulfilled a specific occupation. And you got some money, but not necessarily a lot of money. But enough to live. You didn't have to worry, necessarily. Unless there was a famine. That's a separate issue, though. Yeah. Um, but not everybody was allowed to hold those positions that had shelter. So you had to do other things. Anyway. Burning. <laughs> Next method. This was used... Throughout ancient Europe and the Mediterranean, and I'm meaning the Mediterranean all the way around, like North Africa as well. Uh-huh. Um, and it was used by some native populations in the Americas. Generally, people were tied to a post and burned alive. Um, other methods of burning that were recorded included the Roman candle. Um, this is specific to Emperor Nero of Rome. It was his preferred execution method. Dang Roman and you tied a um, victim to the post, and then you covered them in flammable liquid, and then you lit their feet on fire, and they would burn up. Um, normally, you like put on a pyre of wood. Yeah. So you could um, die from smoke inhalation before you died from like actually burning. Just picture the, generally picture all the movies and shows that show witches being burnt. Yeah. Or right before they get burnt. Um, other burning methods included pouring molten gold or lead down one's throat. Yeah. Um, having molten lead poured into the ears. Uh-huh. Um, and in modern times, burning is still used by mobs, militant groups, and by husbands in acts of domestic violence against their wives. Uh, most commonly in <laughs> southern Asian regions, it's like a, it's like bride burning is like a thing. No, it's not an approved thing. It is a crime, but it's like a thing. I'd say it's approved um, if it's still happening. Um, with the exception of Nazis using burning as an execution method, what? Oh, that's the only modern example that's like government related because technically the Nazis were the governing power at the time, so they used burning as an execution method. Um, Otherwise, it has not been used in the modern era by government Government. entities. Crushing. Sometimes by elephants. Usually by rocks. (laughs) Um, So rocks were used in ancient Rome by the Aztecs and ancient Mongolia because it was another bloodless method. Um, And in Europe. How is that bloodless? Because you sort of are dying from like internal smushing. You do it slowly. You're not, like, dropping a rock on them. You're adding rocks until they can't breathe anymore. Okay. Um, and it was also used in I, Europe. I'm, like, picturing they're under a cliff and someone's pushing off a giant rock over I mean, cliff. that's technically an option, but usually it's, like, sort of a torture method. You slowly add weight. Um, like, the most famous case that most people in America would know would be the um, during the Salem Witch Trials. That was, method was used to kill one of the... Um, victims they were landowning he was a landowning guy and he wanted his kids to be able to inherit the land and if he admitted to being a witch they would not be allowed to inherit the land the um 
authorities would forcefully take possession of it. Uh-huh. So instead of admitting to being a witch because he was not a witch. Um, <laughs> so he was both telling the truth and also making sure his kids, because no matter, he, they were likely going to kill him based on everything else that had been happening at the time. Yeah. So he just kept saying, more weight, more weight, more weight, put it on it. Because if I don't admit to it, my kids can inherit the land. Yeah. Um, that's what you, you just kept crushing them with more and more uh, rocks. So yeah, it... Um, it was outlawed in England in 1772, but the English seemed to like that one for a while. Of course. But, like, a more recent a while, like 1700s, 16, yeah. 1700s. Some things are just not distant enough. No. <laughs> like, oh, we're, we were doing that still? Ooh. <laughs> Next is disembowelment. This is the removing of the internal organs while alive. Uh-huh. It was used in Asia, Europe, and pre-contact Mexico. Of course, other places. Like, that's that's the thing. These are not the exclusive locations. These are just, like, the ones where it's most commonly recorded, basically. Next is drowning. It's drowning. Um, it was used in Asia, Europe, and Africa, mainly. Um, then we have being hanged, drawn, and quartered. That's uh-huh. one full form of execution. So the victim is first hung <coughs> until they are almost dead. So mostly dead. Um, then they are emasculated, um, they are disemboweled, um, beheaded, and quartered. So that's tearing off the limbs. And sometimes that was just like literally tearing them off. Sometimes you tied a horse to each limb and made them run in opposite directions. Um, yeah. This punishment was almost exclusively reserved for men who committed treason. Um, and women who committed treason were just burned at the stake. Because it was, um, I think it's considered like more, more humane. humane. <laughs> not, not for like the quality of the death. Like, whether or not it hurt more or less. Yeah. But part of what was considered humane in the past had to do with how the body was treated. That was also part of humanity, yeah. is, is having a proper burial. And it's still, like, a, an important thing to a lot of groups today. Um, so not burning is nicer to the body overall than having all those things done to it. Um, it was almost exclusively used in medieval England. Yeah. The hanging, drawing, quartered. You know, it might be more worrisome that I know all of these. There hasn't been one I haven't heard of. Oh, there's, I know all of these. <laughs> <laughs> um, next is electrocution. Today, usually called, like, death by chair. You know, they got the electric chair. They get the chair. chair. Um, They're going to the chair. It's only ever been used in the U.S. and the Philippines, and it's still used today. It's it's a modern execution method. Not in America anymore. It was, like, in the 19... 19- when was the last chair? It's like the, really recent. I, I don't know, but we started using it in like I think like the nineteen twenties or something. Electrocution. I don't remember. I for some reason didn't write it down. Let's let's have you look up. Twenty twenty. Twenty twenty is last electric chair. Yeah. A number of states still allow the condemned persons to choose between electrocution and a lethal injection. Yeah, that's usually how it works with the electric. And the chair most recent was. In 2020. Gigi, what are you Which, doing? Which, honestly, everybody says that, well, I mean, I was going to say, everybody you says lethal injection's painful, but who's alive to tell? You don't always um, die from either <coughs> option is the messed up thing. Let's see why this guy chose the chair. No other state before 2020 had used it since 2013. Mm. Oh, he feared the the drug process more than he feared the electric chair. Since he's using an electric chair because he feared being frozen in place and fleeing oh, intense oh, discomfort oh. while drugs were working to kill him. Because once, like, you're electric, you can't move anymore. Yeah. It's, even, whether or not you're alive, you can't do anything about it. When everything <laughs> works perfectly, it's about 14 minutes of pain and horror. That's too long. That's too long. Uh, I don't know. What did he do? 
That's that's reasonable, but also it's too long. <laughs> I wouldn't consider that a humane no. method, is what I mean. Well, well, it's it's to me, it's uh, c- crazy that they still can let you choose between those two. That they still have the chair. As I think an it's option. because both of them are so wishy-washy in their effectiveness that you might as well be able to choose between the two because there's not a guarantee for either. Jenny, what are you doing? Why do you keep growling? <laughs> looking around. Nothing. Anyway, there's your information on the chair. Next is falling. Falling. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm just going to start that whole thing over. Um, so falling, <coughs> um, that's the victim is thrown off a tall structure or cliff. Um, and this is, I think, most recent. It is most recently used in Argentina during the Dirty War in the 70s and 80s, but it's also most famously during use time, used during this time because they were um, taking, like, political prisoners and putting them on planes and flying over the Atlantic Ocean and dropping them out of the planes. Um, Interesting. And people were just disappearing. Like, they didn't know what was happening to them. Um, that's falling. Next is flaying. This is when a victim is skinned alive um, with an effort to keep the skin intact in one big piece. Um, it's not a common method of execution, but it was used pretty much everywhere in the world at some point. And I mean, like, everywhere. The Americas, too, because sometimes it's, it's like, everywhere but the Americas. Yeah. We, and it could be that these things were happening there, but we don't have record. Yeah, and people. it wasn't maybe government um, at the time. Well, I mean... <laughs> If it's this, if it's within like the society's rules, that's that would technically be considered acceptable. We just don't have a lot of records from over there. Um, so the last known live flaying happened in 1771 to a Cretan rebel, um, and it was done by the Ottoman Empire. And then in 1871, Nat Turner, who was an enslaved black man um, who led a slave rebellion in Virginia. Um, he's, he's a pretty well-known historical figure. So they don't know exactly how he was executed. Um, a lot of sources think beheading, but also could have been hanging. Uh-huh. Um, either way, after he was dead, he was skinned. And then his skin was used to make pouches that were sold as souvenirs. Who, who? By Ed Gein? He was also mentioned in this portion of the uh, research, Ed Gein. But that was not, that's not a, that's not um, an execution, that's a murder, so. He's not a, he's not a government official. Yeah. (laughs) Next is gas inhalation. This um, has a much older history than I thought it would. Not like crazy old, but it was first used in 1803. Um, I during see that. the Haitian Revolution, that. it was used by Rochambeau, the same one that helped us win the Revolutionary War, then went to um, stop the revolution from happening in Haiti. So he was on our side I had no clue that was to become independent individual. from England, but he was on France's side to keep uh, Haiti French and have slaves. I thought it was just the thing that people say when you do rock, paper, scissors. Rochambeau? No, yeah. it's a person. Not a clue. He's a French general. I've never anyway, heard of him in my life. Rochambeau was part- uh, known particularly well for being really cruel. Um, I mean, he probably got bullied war. for that name. So <laughs> he used this method to kill prisoners of war, which were primarily uh, the rebelling significantly black and former or currently enslaved population of Haiti. Um, so he's a bad guy. Um, 
Thanks for the clarification. Well, I didn't I didn't know one thing or another about he Rochambeau. He was named after rock, paper, scissors. Why do you think he's so cruel? Like, I know that Rochambeau was a person and that he was French and that uh-uh. he helped Americans win the Revolutionary War. I did not know anything else about him otherwise. Um, you know, it makes me wonder if everybody thinks he's, like, a, not an American hero, but, like, you know. He's considered a Revolutionary War hero. Oh. And he's, like, a genuinely horrible human. And, like... Most of the founding fathers did bad things, but some of them were, like, acceptable bad things for the time, and some of them were, like, bad, bad, and he's a bad, You were bad. a criminal for the times, still, you know. Yeah, you were, you were like, super, super war crime person. Anyway, Crazy. Um, gas chambers were obviously used famously by the Nazis. Um, in Lithuania, gas chambers were used for prisoner execution from 1937 to 1940, um, and I think that was just, like, normal method of execution for them for that time period until they were taken over by the Soviet Union and then the Soviet Union started using the gas chambers themselves um, and then they also made more Soviet Union started just to use gas chambers in a similar manner to the Nazis because they also had concentration camps how do you think um, they, did, these concentration camp people them and the Nazis just decided to use that because you can make it in a big space and you can yeah. do mass numbers of people at once but where do you learn that that's a thing you can do well from Rochambeau in 1803 <laughs> But was that well known? I have no, I don't know how they they specifically developed that for their use. But I know the Soviet Union did not develop it. They just yeah. took it. Um, so North Korea used them at Camp 22 until its supposed closure in 2012, and they're probably still using them. And then the U.S. introduced gas chambers as a means of capital punishment in 1924. And they're still legal in six states and were last used in 2020. Um, it's often, not often, but, like, it's one of the methods that you can choose if the first version didn't work out. Like, if you survive lethal injection, you can be like, let's do gas chamber. Because gas chamber <laughs> is guaranteed. Like, okay, would you um, like to sit in this room now? <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be similar to the lethal injection with, like, the internal pain, but <laughs> you're going to die. <laughs> um, next is Hanging. Hanging is um, a method of execution where you put a rope around a person's neck and then you drop them from a height. Um, sometimes the drop is hard enough that it snaps their neck and they die basically instantly. Other times um, it does not you snap their neck and bit. they slowly asphyxiate. Yeah. Um, this is used in a number of societies throughout history. It's another pretty universal method because it's pretty easy to have the tools to do. Um, it's one of the two most common methods of modern execution, like I was saying before, and it's currently used in India, Japan, Singapore, Malaysia, um, Pakistan, and uh, Iran. Impalement. Penetrating a victim's body with a stake, hook, spear, or pole. There's longitudinal impalement, which is piercing the body from bottom to top, like Gag. coming out the mouth. And if you did it in a really specific manner, if you followed the spine... You wouldn't hit any vital organs. So you um, get to be alive. So you were more likely to die of dehydration than from the injuries of impalement. So if you just sat there and rotted on this pole that's sticking out of your mouth. Um, and then there's transverse impalement, which is like going... Usually that's like a right away thing. You go through the chest and usually hit the heart. Um, and then there's... Gouching. This is when you... Huh? Gouching. It's a new one. This is, I think this is the only one that I never heard of specifically, like with the term. I think yeah. I've like heard of the with thing the name you've done, but not gouching. Um, 
it is when you hoist a victim into the air and then drop them onto a metal hook that's like been permanently attached into either a wooden like a structure made to the execution it. method yeah or like into the city wall or a building yeah. wall um you drop them onto that hook and it like catches them as they fall and you die that way um which sounds terrible that's an interesting one um then there's also hanging by the ribs which is when you hook a victim in the rib cage and just hang them up to slowly die um they're not dying from the injury they're dying from exposure or dehydration or something like that and then impalement was used across ancient Europe and then throughout regions of the Middle East. That's the primary region it was impalement was used. That was not an international hmm. phenomenon. I'm sure other places Gee, did it sometimes, why. but as a killing method, apparently not very popular. Next is keel hauling. I think this one's really interesting. So it's a method of maritime execution specifically. It's basically only for sailors. Um, so the sailor is tied to a rope that has been looped around the vessel. So like there's, it goes all the way around. So you could like pull it and the rope and go around the the rest of the vessel. Um, anyway, so they're tied to this rope that's all the way around the vessel. That is the dehydrator. Um, I was like, what is that? They're then thrown overboard while attached to this rope. And then they're drug under the keel of the ship. The keel is like the very bottom most strip of the ship and then brought back up. Um, sometimes they would do it, you know, the short way from side to side. Sometimes they do it the long way from front to back. Um, this is not necessarily always an execution method. It's, is a form of torturous punishment though, as sailors would come up, could survive, especially if they're doing the short, hold your breath, short way around. Um, but they were almost always covered in lacerations from the marine growth on the boat. Like yeah, barnacles, barnacles are sharp. That's terrible. Um, and then, you, and and then could, your wounds are in seawater. Well, then they too? could die from infection. Um, uh-huh. Or if they didn't die, they would have like, like very gory scarring. They'd be disfigured. Um, other risks from this method were head trauma and drowning. Um, those are the main ways you would die if you didn't die from infection. Yeah. Uh, it was used in ancient Greece, and then didn't really seem to be used much until the English and Dutch started using it. And what is considered the modern era when you're looking at like historic eras which was around 1600 to 1900 the english and dutch seem to lean towards it for sailor punishment yeah um lethal injection so this is injecting a lethal amount of drug into a person it was first used in the u.s in 1982 and is still used today and it has been adopted by china taiwan thailand guatemala and vietnam what drug is it that they use? I don't know. I looked it up and they were just said loosely like barbiturates and things like that. Like it would just be like drug families. Poisoning. It's poisoning. Um, it's mainly known for being used in ancient Greece and Pentobarbital. Pentobarbital? That's a barbiturate. Primary sedative and lethal injections in the US. Oh, it was also previously sodium you up and all yep but there was a shortage of that so they had to switch <laughs> um so yeah poisoning sawing so you cut a victim in half oh. either only oh. two people have survived lethal injection in the u.s ew so yeah sawing is cutting a live victim in half either across the middle or lengthwise you know top to bottom bottom to top it's used in various forms all over the ancient world. Um, 
outside of the Americas. We don't have any specific records there, which would make sense because you're usually using big cutting implements and there's not a lot of big cutting implements in the Americas. Yeah. Um, this one's so <laughs> gross. It's called uh, scaphism. This is when you feed a mixture of milk and honey to a person, <laughs> um, which has a laxative effect. Yep. They're then tied to two boats, like on either side of them, and they're left to hang in the middle, floating in a stagnant pond, where they then have severe diarrhea from the force-fed uh, mixture of milk and honey, um, which attracts insects who burrow into the person, and then they die usually of sepsis or exposure. Yep. This is a unique punishment to, the, to um, ancient Persia. Shooting. This is what it sounds either, like. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's either one shot or by firing squad. Um, this is the other most common method next to hanging. Um, uh, it's not new, and it's still used in Indonesia, Qatar, China, uh, Taiwan, Belarus, and Russia. Slow slicing. No, this is slowly over time removing bits of a person until they die. Um, another version of this would be like a pendulum axe that slowly cuts into you every time it swings. Uh -huh. um, and the most well-known use of slow slicing is from uh, ancient China, where it's called Ling Chi. They liked using slow slicing a lot during a specific like ruler period. Starvation. Um, there's a few forms of this. Crucifixion is a form of starvation. It's when you nail a victim to a beam and they're left to hang to die. It was used in ancient Persia, Carthage, and Rome. Because um, you're not generally dying from... You can die from the hanging because it can sometimes cut off certain circulations that uh -huh. kill you and make yeah. it hard to breathe. But generally you're <laughs> wasting away when you're crucified. Um, there's gibbeting. This is placing a victim in a cage and hanging them in public. It was used in ancient Rome. And during the modern era, again, that's like 1600 to 1900 in Europe... Um, and in their colonies, including Canada and the U.S., uh -huh. in colonial Canada and colonial U.S., there was uh, gibbeting occurring. And you've everyone's seen gibbeting if they've seen Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Such then, weird names some of these things have. I know. The last form of starvation is immorment. And this is, I think, like, my favorite stories about terrible past executions are immorment ones. And that's being sealed um, alive in a wall or in a room. The nuns like to do it's, that. Yeah, I was going to say that in, it was used in the Middle East and Europe in punishment. It was particularly used in Europe as a punishment for, um, like, religious-related things. Nuns and monks and very, other stuff yeah. like that. There's something like I'd no, say. No, but it's something about you get to be pious in a room by, like, cause sometimes it would be, like, a little furnished room. You just get to, like, pray until you die, basically, without suffering other than starving to death. I, I think that's sort of the reasoning I, behind I it. I don't understand. There's no reason One more method and then we're done. <laughs> well, with yours. The last, well, with mine. Um, the last method is stoning. Um, this is when a mob ordered to do this. Like, obviously, mobs can also just do this, but, like, in the format that I'm talking about. A mob pelts victims with stones until they die by bludgeoning. Um, it was used in the past... Um, in regions that are now considered the Middle East and is mentioned in ancient Hebrew texts. Like, it's an old, old form of execution. People love to stone. Um, it is still used. So this is, like, the for sure, like, the longest used form of execution. Um, 
and it's still used today in Somalia, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Sudan, the United Arab Emirates, northern Nigeria, um, Mauritania, Iran, Yemen, and Brunei. Wow. Brunei just added it to their list of legal methods in 2013. That's a step backwards. It's very interesting that they did that. I mean, I don't know anything about um, that place. But... I don't either. <laughs> I know how to say it. <laughs> so that's my long list of execution methods. That was great. Because I know we had mentioned talking about... Very informative. ...using execution tools because there's yeah. really weird tools and I was like looking into that and it was gonna be a lot of research and then Wikipedia conveniently literally had a list of like official execution methods and I said huh. we're just gonna go off that that's why it's alphabetized yeah because <laughs> Wikipedia's is I was like that that seems like a good like I can't do this any other time of the year without it being odd but I can yeah. do it for Halloween <laughs> very informative that was good okay so today my Halloween story is covering the headless horseman you didn't tell me I thought you were doing something I got my information from (laughs) wikipedia.org history.com celticranch.com which weirdly enough it's in Missouri um scottsmagazine.com irishtimes.com kitgentry.com gentry.com uh Lethbridge News Now. Okay. Dot com. <laughs> Sorry, I can't read today, guys. Um, Legendsofamerica.com. Those were my sources. Okay, so. So the Headless Horseman is obviously most well known in the U.S. from Washington Irving's 1820 story, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Mm-hmm. But tales of Headless Horseman can be traced back to the Middle Ages. <gasps> oh, this is so fun. So here's all, like... Because we, we mention them here this. and there as, as, like, haunting options sometimes. Yeah. This makes sense. So, in both English and Welsh folklore, also, there's a lot of stuff in here I can't pronounce. So, I can and it's going to be even worse since I can hardly talk I can only do two Welsh words, and one's Llewellyn, and so, the other one's that really long town name. Everybody, buckle up. <laughs> so, in both English and Welsh, Welsh folklore, there is a 14th century poet, Sir Gawain, and the Green Knight. Mm-hmm. The story is about one of the knights of um, Arthur's Round Table who is challenged to a duel by a mysterious Green Knight. The Green Knight tells Gawain that he will allow him to strike him once and that he will return that same blow a year and a day later. Which a year and a day later seems to be a very like European they love it. thing. Which I don't get. I don't know what it means um, culturally, but no. it means something. Gawain accepts his fate, and with one swing of his axe, he decapitates the Green Knight, but the knight just picks up his head, reminds Gawain that he will return in a year's time, and goes on his way. Yeah, that was a big mistake on uh, Um, on his part. (laughs) A year and a day later, he runs into the Green Knight, and Gawain accepts his fate, and trying to keep his honor, leans over, expecting the knight to return the blow. The Green Knight fake swings his axe a few times and then tells Gawain that he was actually transformed by Arthur's sister, Morgan Le Fay, and the whole challenge was to expose Arthur's knights and show how chivalrous they really were. Mm. So, so the fact was, that he was he willing was spared, to... Yeah, to just accept his fate. On to Irish folklore. So there are stories where the Celtic people believe that the head was where the soul was located, and when an enemy was decapitated in battle, their head would be taken as a trophy because it was seen as a great source of spiritual power and protection for one's enemies and the supernatural. Um, the Dullahan, um, mm-hmm. the Dark Probably Man, Dullahan. 
is a headless demonic fairy usually seen wearing black robes riding a black horse with red eyes and carrying his head under his arm um and the flesh of his face was like decaying yeah um he wields a whip made from a human corpse's spine ew when he stops riding a death occurs the Dulahan, Dulahan, calls out a name, and at that point, the person immediately dies. So there's two things where it's like, if he stops riding, somebody's going to be dead, or if he calls something out, someone's going to die. It's like, yeah, an omen. The Dulahan is recorded in fairy and folktales of the Irish peasantry as, quote, an omen that sometimes accompanies the banshee is the coach a bower, an immense black coach mounted by a coffin and drawn by headless horses driven by a doolahan. So not only is he headless, but his horses are too. Interesting. It will go rumbling to your door, and if you open it, according to Crocker Croker, a basin of blood will be thrown in your face. Oh. End quote. Ew. Um, it is said that if you are not who the doolahan is looking for, your life will be spared, but there will be a cost. Anyone who looks at the dual hand will be immediately blinded, and even if you look away, they will make sure you never see again by either throwing blood in your face or lashing them with their whip made from a human's spine. Ew. So I don't know why they're so vengeful towards people who they're not coming for. I don't know, but, but do you ever, like, listen to old mythologies and say, like, oh, I know exactly what kind of people sat down and started making this creepy story to, like, like um, have kids not do stupid things. Yeah. Like- <laughs> Um, or kids that are trying to scare other kids and then tell those stories to other kids. In addition to that, that all locks, gates, and windows fly open if the horseman is near, so you can't hide from it. Um, the dual hand is thought to be the embodiment of an ancient Celtic god, Chrome Doob? Or Black Chrome? Chrome? I think it's Chrome. No idea. Um, he was worshipped by a prehistoric king who ruled in Ireland around 1500 years ago. Um, the king offered a human sacrifice to this fertility god each year. Decapitation was his favorite method to use for mm, that makes uh, sense. those sacrifices. Um, worship of the old gods was not in favor around the 6th century in Ireland due to Christianity, so these spirits changed in name and form, mm-hmm. but never completely went away. Um, Krom Doob? Doob? <laughs> You're trying. Is said to now manifest in physical form as Dulahan. Dulahan. Um, this is the time of year he likes to make his earthly journey to the world. So everybody in Ireland, watch out. And even if you see... Well, you're going to be blind. I can't help you with that one. I can't tell you how to run away from him because they say you can't. Um, the Dulahan's head is said to always have a sinister grin. And its eyes constantly move from left to right. The head is allowed to speak, but only once on each journey he makes, and it can only be um, to call the name of a person whose soul is he's coming to claim. Interesting. <laughs> oh my god, sorry, I'm so stuffed up. In other versions, he is the headless driver of a black carriage pulled by six black horses. The coist bodhar, bodhar, um, silent coach or the death coach. Um, and coachman of the afterlife is what he's known as. The carriage can be so fast that it has set fire to nearby grass and bushes. Um, wherever the silent coach went, death quickly followed. I sort of like that, like, explanation for why, like, spontaneous fires happen. Uh-huh. So a similar figure, the Gon Can, 
We're really uh, which means without a head, mm. can be scared away by wearing a gold object or putting one in his path. The Dulhan wasn't always seen as a man either, and he's sometimes seen as a woman. Mm. Um, in This was something that, in my notes, I didn't really understand, but I'm just going to follow exactly what they said in this article. So, in a country from County Galloway... Quote, a man was on his way home one night between Roundstone and Ballyconley. Um, it was just around dark and all of a sudden he heard the sound of horses' hooves pounding along the road behind him. Looking back, he saw the headless horseman of Ireland, the dual hand, on his charger hustling towards him at a fair speed. With a loud shout, he made... He made to run, but the thing came on after him, gaining on him all the time. In truth, it would have overtaken him and carried him away had he not dropped a gold headpin from the folds of his shirt on the road behind him. There was a roar in the air above his head, and when he looked again, the doula hand was gone. Um, in Thomas Johnson Westrop's A Folklore Survey of County Clare, um, there were a number of stories relating to it and recorded, quote, On the night of December 11th, 1876, a servant of the McNamaris? McNamaras? Yeah. Uh, was going his rounds at Anistimon? Anistimon? I don't know. Sure, Anistimon. In the dark, he heard the rumbling of wheels on the back avenue, and knowing from the hour and place that no mortal vehicle could be coming, concluded that it was a death coach and ran on, opening the gates before it. He had just time to open the third gate and throw himself in the face behind, in throw himself on his face beside it at the bank before he heard a coach go clanking past. It did not stop at the house, but passed on. The following day, Admiral Sir Burton McNamara died in London. So they still, like, I guess firmly believed it. Mm -hmm. Even into 1876. Well, there's probably still people that do. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Now we're in a Scottish folklore. This is going to take a turn with my pronunciation. If it couldn't get, if it couldn't get any worse. So the most well-known story of Headless Horseman revolves around a man named Ewan of the Little Head. Uh, he was the only son of son and heir of old John, fifth chief of the Maclean's of Lockview. Um, I don't know if I'm saying any of these things right. I know Maclean is right. Scottish is easier to um, pronounce. In than 1538, English. some places said it was the 1300s, but I, I, you know, this is legend. I don't know what's right. Ewan in, in the olden times, was decapitated in a clan battle at Glen Canier. On the Isle of Mole, Mule, I don't know. Um, but there was, like, some things that said, like, he had married this woman who was, like, pestering him about getting more land from his dad. And his dad was like, bro, I'm not giving you any land. So then she was like, well, you better fight him for it, because that was the only way to get land back then. Um, and his dad beat him. So, the well, I don't know if it was dad that decapitated him, but, like, yeah, but his, his dad's side is what beat him. Um, so the battle denied him any chance to be a chieftain, and both him and his horse are headless in accounts of his haunting area. Uh-oh. In Scotland, some sources said only members of the McLean can clean clan, but others said just in general. Um, seeing the image or hearing the sound of a horse or headless rider is traditionally an omen of imminent death within the family. Ooh. So some, like, think it's just a curse to the McLean. 
mm-hmm. clan. But others say, just in general, everybody's weary when that happens. Yeah. So Ewan is said to still be riding his dun-colored horse and wears the same green cloak he had in life. He also carries his head as he rides. So from the Scots Magazine, an article written by P.A. McNabb, quote, I first became aware of the presence of the awesome specter of the headless horseman that haunted the roads of Mole when I still when I was still an impressionable schoolboy. With two miles of lonely island road to walk each way to school, to and from school, summer and winter. One morning, I learned that the grocer's van had been confronted by a specter at at a bend just above our house and had escaped only by cutting the corner and bumping across that across what was fortunately a soft hardy flat um it says heathery yeah heather's a thing heathery that would be nice to heathery follow on flat okay it's anyway. like it's it's not moss um, but it's like really thick moss which why would be like i saw that evidence with my own eyes when i went up and examined the deep tire marks as time went on, more evidence came to my notice. In particular, there were two ancient trees whose trunks grew almost horizontally along the ground. One by the roadside near Salen, Salen? Um, now gone since the construction of the new road. Um, the other beside the bridle path where it skirts Lakba. Um Trying your best. <laughs> the right... <laughs> The right-of-way that once crossed the shoulder of Ben Moore in Central Mole. In each case, a the clan of Duart? Dart? It is spelled like Stuart, was, but like Duart. Yeah. <laughs> was walking along in the dusk when he was attacked by the Headless Horseman, who was a McLean of Lockbu and had no use for the Duart McLeans. In each case... Um, the man managed to fend off the ghost attacker with his dirk in one hand mm-hmm. while holding his ground by gripping a young sapling in the other. Um, so the struggle went on until cock crow. Mm-hmm. What time does that mean? Uh, like dawn. dawn? Um, then, of course, the specter had to retire to the shades, leaving the McLean men exhausted but safe beside the saplings which they had almost torn out by the roots during the struggle and which grew horizontally ever after. So that's like local legend of the headless horseman making the trees grow. I was going to say, yeah, it's exactly what it is. So now we're on to the German folklore. Um, In Germany, headless horseman stories mostly come from the Rhineland. Um, The headless horsemen killed their victims by touching them. Just by like, you're dead, basically. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, they were revenants who had to wander the earth until they had atoned for their sins, sometimes by doing a good deed for a stranger, but instead of showing them gratitude by shaking hands, the stranger and the horseman held a tree branch between them and the branch would wither and die rather than the stranger. So I don't know if the horseman like just kills randos and then just picks who they want to live or what. It seems similar to like the Gwen and the Green Knight, like prove your worth yeah you're not a horrible person and i won't kill you um let's see here so irving washington irving traveled in germany in 1821 and had become familiar with dutch and german folklore in particular the last of the legenden von rubazal 
from Johan Carl August Musaus. <laughs> Retellings of German folklore, folk tales from 1783 is said to have inspired the legend of Sleepy Hollow. That makes sense. Um, Elizabeth Elizabeth Bradley, a, a historian, thinks that Irving possibly got his inspiration from Sir Walter Scott's 1796 The Chase, which is a translation of the German poem The Wild Huntsman by Gottfried Berger and likely based on Norse mythology. So basically, everybody just thinks that the Headless Horseman is from a tale of a tale of a tale mm-hmm. of a tale. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, he had apparently met and become friends with Scott in 1817. The poem is about a wicked hunter who is doomed to be hunted forever by the devil and the dogs of hell as punishment for his crimes. So the Brothers Grimm wrote stories of Headless Horsemen too. Two took place in Dresden and... Or one took place in Dresden and is about a woman who was gathering acorns... <laughs> I loved reading this story. It was cracking me up. Um, in a part of the forest named the Lost Waters, uh, she heard the sound of a hunting horn and turned around to see a man riding a gray horse. It wasn't that strange, so she just kept collecting her acorns and then went home. And nine days after this, she returned to the same forest in about the same area and heard a voice from behind her. She turned around and saw the same man from before dressed in a gray cloak, but was without his horse and was carrying his head with curly brown hair under his arm. He said, quote, ye do well to pray to God to forgive you your sense. It was never my good to do so. It was never my good lot to do so. Um, he told her that his name was Hans Jägentufel, Jägentufel. Uh, yeah, and that would be the hunting devil. Uh, well, yeah, I'm going to hunt Teufel's devil. Um, and during his life, he would he never listened to his father's warnings to be courteous and merciful to all those below him. Instead, he drank um, in excess and indulged himself too much without a care for those around him. And so now in death, he was cursed to roam the earth as an evil spirit. That sounds like a story that a mom tells her kid. I know, bratty. I know. But I just thought it was so funny because she's like just, it. he's, like, the story goes that he, like, comes up to her and he's like, don't you think you're taking too many of these acorns? You, you were here <laughs> nine days ago and you're getting more. You're still getting acorns? And she was Good like, night. no, nobody in the area really cares. Like, there's a bunch of acorns here so we can all have acorns. Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh, well, back in my day. Back in my day, my dad said I was a brat. <laughs> yeah. So I thought that story was funny. So another Brothers Grimm story is about the wild huntsman of Brunswick. He went by this by the name of Hackleberg, and when he died, he begged God to allow him to stay on earth, and in exchange, he'd give up his space in heaven. His wish was granted, but he could only stay on earth as a headless horseman. He was said to blow his horn to warn other hunters that the next day would not be a safe day for hunting. Hmm. In some stories, he would seek out and punish those who had wronged others with his pack of black hounds with tongues of fire. I, I do think there's a there's like probably some old Norse root or old Germanic root leg, legend about a headless horseman and being good to others because that's what the big like connecting yeah. factor is. So in German folklore, quote, it is commonly believed that if any person is guilty of a crime for which he deserved to lose his head, he will. And if he escapes punishment during his lifetime, be con- after be condemned after his death to be wanted about his head under his arm. So if you do something in life where you should have had your head chopped off, in death, you'll get that it will in happen. death. <laughs> so 
Um, here, these are the different appearances of the Headless Horseman. So the Wild Huntsman is known to wear a gray coat and rides a gray horse. Um, and has curly brown hair. Um, the Wild Huntsman of Scandinavia rides a white horse, but his clothing is not really ever described. Uh, the Celtic Dullahan is most often described as being dressed entirely in black, riding a black horse, um, but sometimes seen wearing a scarlet hunting coat and riding oh. a white horse. Oh. Um, and then these horses are also often headless. Um, That's the, the American... most interesting. What would the horses do to get their heads know. cut off? <laughs> treason? I don't know. <laughs> so <laughs> the American treason. horseman is normally seen riding a black horse dressed in black clothing. However, some say he wears a green Hessian mercenaries uniform mm -hmm. with a reddish brown cape. Mm -hmm. um, Tim Burton depicted him in a black leather outfit with a black and red cape. Like, I think it was red on the inside, black on the outside. Yeah. Um, so now we're on to the American folklore. Wow. Okay, so El Muerto, the dead man, was a Mexican bandit who was butchered by Texas Rangers and is said to rise again and ride vengefully on his dark horse. In the 1850s, a Mexican bandit named Vidal Vidal... I don't, I don't speak Spanish. Um, <laughs> You're so distraught. ...committed a crime in San Antonio, um, rustling cattle, which he had previously been had a bounty on his head for... And at that time, it was, like, one of the biggest, most serious crimes you can yeah. commit. Um, so, among the herd were several prize mustangs that belonged to Creed Taylor, a Texas ranger. Now, this is a completely, like, factual, this for sure happened. This is, like, actual history mm -hmm. and not just folklore. Um, the crime is, at least. Mm -hmm. um, so... Those horses belonged to Creed Taylor, who was a Texas Ranger. Um, Taylor did not take the news well at all. Um, during this time, Rangers were harsh and willing to commit any crimes in the name of justice. Um, they did whatever they wanted and used the law to protect themselves. So, also during this time, the border between the U.S. and Mexico had an issue that the two countries couldn't agree on. Um, basically, where it, it started and where it Oh, they just it. didn't quite know where the country was. Um... <laughs> So they couldn't agree on which part was which and a certain stretch in between the Rio Grande and, or Rio Grande, I don't know what you freaking call it over there, and the Nieces River. I guess Nieces. It definitely says Nieces. That was like a no man's land yeah. during this time. So crime was rampant and there was violence everywhere, but um, it was said that the what the rangers did to Vidal was worse than, like, the majority of crime that went on mm -hmm. here. So Taylor set out to find Vidal along with a ranch owner who was also a victim of the, his horse rustling. Um, Flores was the name of that guy. And mm -hmm. then another ranger, William Alexander Anderson Wallace. I didn't That's realize there names. were that many names. Yeah. <laughs> um, known as Bigfoot. <laughs> So the three tracked the man, or the men, because it was like Vidal and then his crew, I yeah. guess, um, to their hideout and waited until night before ambushing the bandits in their sleep. They were all killed, but Vidal was killed, beheaded, and Wallace tied his body onto the saddle on the back of a wild mustang. He then tied his hands to the pommel and secured the torso to hold him upright. Bigfoot attached Vidal's head and sombrero to the saddle with a long strip of rawhide. 
Um, they turned the horse loose to wander as assigned to other criminals. Um, one article said that the rangers of the time had tried all types of justice, including stringing people up to trees, like leaving them hanging there, shooting them and chopping them into pieces, leaving their bodies for animal bait, but nothing like worked to scare the outlaws. Because he had to get caught for this to happen. So from then on, the horse and its headless rider roamed the area. It was spotted many times, um, and it was said that bullets had no effect on the horse or... The dead body, I guess. So the legend of El Muerto was started. The horse was eventually captured and Vidal's body was buried, but the sightings continued. Travelers and ranchers in no man's land reported seeing the apparition. There was one such encounter in 1917 by a couple who was on their way to San Diego, Texas in a wagon. They camped for the night outside of town. Um, they said they sat by a campfire when they saw a gr- large gray stallion with a headless man shouting, It's mine! It's all mine! It was spotted again in 1969 near Freer? Somewhere in Texas, I guess. It doesn't matter. Somewhere in so, Texas. So, the New York Historical Society believes Irving was... In, that's like the Texas headless but Yeah, it's Texas. Which mm-hmm. I had never heard of. I haven't either. Until doing this research. That's and a I fun story. I was like, whoa, this is... But there's so much history on it. Mm-hmm. Um, if anybody wants to look into it. There's a longer story of like how the rangers were such excellent trackers back then that it mm-hmm. literally took them like no time to find mm-hmm. this guy. And like, there's a lot to the story, but... Um, the New York Historical Society believes Irving was inspired by, quote, an actual Hessian soldier who was decapitated by a cannonball during the Battle of White Plains around Halloween 1776. Mm-hmm. Um, so Irving's story from 1820 takes place in the New York village of Sleepy Hollow in Westchester County. Quote, in it, lanky newcomer and schoolmaster Ichabod Crane courts Katrina Von Tassel. A young heiress who is also being pursued by the Dutchman from the Dutchman from Bones. Is that right? It does say Dutchman from Bones. Anyway, um, after being rebuffed by Katrina at a party at the Von Tassel farm where ghost stories are shared, Ichabod is chased by a headless horseman who may or may not be his rival, who hurls a pumpkin at the man knocking Ichabod from his horse And then the schoolmaster vanishes. So Irving also could have gotten inspiration from his story while he was a teenager in the Terrytown region. He moved to the area in 1798 to escape a yellow fever outbreak in New York City. At this time, he might have been introduced to local ghost stories and lore at, quote, an impressionable age. Um, Quote, he weaves together factual locations like the old Dutch church and churchyard. Major Andre's tree, um, some actual family names, including uh, Von Tassel um, and Ichabod Crane, who were real people mm-hmm. that lived in the area, and a little bit of Revolutionary War history with pure imagination and fantasy, which they say that because they, they're historians who don't think a headless horseman is real, but it could be. <laughs> Um, but yeah, there, you can go to like the local graveyard there in the Von Tassel, they had multiple, I've been to the graveyard. um, Von Tassel girls, but there was only one that matched the age, 
range of Katrina Von Tassel. The mm-hmm. Katrina Von Tassel was like an old woman when she died or something like that. Yeah. Or like at the time of his story or whatever, whatever. Um, but then, yeah, Ichabod Crane is real. And there's just a lot of stuff that's actually like true that you could still go today. Mm-hmm. Like, see? It's very cute um, there. So if France, you're in that area, it's I want to go there. It. So France Potter, a professional... Oh, <laughs> France Potter, a professor at National University who specializes in Gothic cities, said the headless horseman as a su- as a supernatural entity represents a past that never dies but always haunts the living. Quote, the headless horseman supposedly seeks revenge and a head which he thinks was unfairly taken from him. This injustice demands that he continuously search for a... S- for a substitute the horseman like the past still seeks answers still seeks retribution and can't rest we are haunted by the past which stalks us so that we never forget it (laughs) and that is the story of the headless horseman that was great mimi i know i really liked it there was so much and there was probably honestly more than i could find for some reason when you like look it up the norse headless horseman myths don't Mm -hmm. really come up but they obviously but have to be there. There, yeah. But anyway, that I thought that was a fun thing to cover because I was that like, was I want to really, do something really, really Halloweeny. That was but really Halloweeny. Something that wasn't gonna require as much like research as vampires mm-hmm. or something. Because that's the other thing I was thinking mm-hmm. of doing. Maybe I'll do that next year and get a head start now, and then completely not remember any of my Oh, that'd research. be so funny. <laughs> oh, sorry, Halloween I wrote this visit. a year ago. <laughs> Um, but yes, um, happy Halloween and try not to kill anybody and don't miss Ouija boards. Bye. Bye.